Part two of the Cremona Violin in Weird Tales, Volume One by E. T. A. Hoffman, translated by J. T. Bilby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. In a few words, his relations with Antonia rose in the following way. Twenty years before, the counsellor had been led to Italy by his favourite engrossing passion of hunting up and buying the best violins of the old masters. At that time, he had not yet begun to make them himself, and so, of course, he had not begun to take to pieces those which he bought. In Venice, he heard the celebrated singer Angela Blanqui, who at this time was playing with splendid success as prima donna at St. Benedict's Theatre. His enthusiasm was awakened not only in her art, which Signora Angela had indeed brought to a high pitch of perfection, but in her angelic beauty as well. He sought her acquaintance, and in spite of all his rugged manners he succeeded in winning her heart, principally through his bold and yet at the same time masterly violin playing. Close intimacy led in a few weeks to marriage, which, however, was kept a secret, because Angela was unwilling to sever her connection with the theatre, neither did she wish to part with her professional name, that by which she was celebrated, nor to add to it the cacophonous Crespel. With the most extravagant irony, he described to me what a strange life of worry and torture Angela led him as soon as she became his wife. Crespo was of opinion that more capriciousness and waywardness were concentrated in Angela's little person than in all the rest of the prima donnas in the world put together. If he now and again presumed to stand up in his own defense, she let loose a whole army of abbots, musical composers, and students upon him, who, ignorant of his true connection with Angela, soundly rated him as a most intolerable, ungallant lover for not submitting to all the signora's caprices. It was just after one of these stormy scenes that Crespo fled to Angela's country seat to try and forget in playing fantasias on his Cremona violin the annoyances of the day. But he had not been there long before the signora, who had followed hard after him, stepped into the room. She was in an affectionate humour. She embraced her husband, overwhelmed him with sweet and languishing glances, and rested her pretty head on his shoulder. But Crespo, carried away into the world of music, continued to play on until the walls echoed again. Thus he chanced to touch the signora somewhat ungently with his arm and the fiddle bow. She leapt back full of fury, shrieking that he was a German brute, snatched the violin from his hands, and dashed it on the marble table into a thousand pieces. Crespo stood like a statue of stone before her, but then, as if awakening out of a dream, he seized her with the strength of a giant, and threw her out of the window of her own house, and, without troubling himself about anything more, fled back to Venice, to Germany. It was not, however, until some time it elapsed that he had a clear recollection of what he had done. Although he knew that the window was scarcely five feet from the ground, and although he was fully cognizant of the necessity, under the above-mentioned circumstances, of throwing the signora out of the window, he yet felt troubled by a sense of painful uneasiness, and the more so since she had imparted to him, in no ambiguous terms, an interesting secret as to her condition he hardly dared to make inquiries, and, 
he was not a little surprised about eight months afterwards at receiving a tender letter from his beloved wife in which she made not the slightest allusion to what had taken place in her country house only adding to the intelligence that she had been safely delivered of a sweet little daughter the heartfelt prayer that her dear husband and now a happy father would come at once to venice that however crespel did not do rather he appealed to a confidential friend for a more circumstantial account of the details and learned that the signora had alighted upon the soft grass as lightly as a bird and that the sole consequences of the fall or shock had been psychic that is to say after crespel's heroic deed she had become completely altered she never showed a trace of caprice of her former freaks or of her teasing habits and the composer who wrote for the next carnival was the happiest fellow under the sun since the signora was willing to sing his music without the scores and hundreds of changes which she at other times had insisted upon to be sure added his friend there was every reason for preserving the secret of angela's cure else every day would see lady singers flying through windows the counsellor was not a little excited at this news he engaged horses he took his seat in the carriage stop he cried suddenly why there's not a shadow of doubt he murmured to himself that as soon as angela sets eyes upon me again the evil spirit will recover his power and once more take possession of her and since i have already thrown her out of the window what could i do if a similar case were to occur again what would there be left for me to do he got out of the carriage and wrote an affectionate letter to his wife making graceful allusion to her tenderness in especially dwelling upon the fact that his tiny daughter had like him a little mole behind the ear and remained in germany now ensued an active correspondence between them assurances of unchanged affection invitations laments over the absence of the beloved one thwarted wishes hopes etc flew backwards and forwards from venice to h from h to venice at length angela came to germany and as is well known sang with brilliant success as prima donna at the great theatre in f despite the fact that she was no longer young she won all hearts by the irresistible charm of her wonderfully splendid singing at that time she had not lost her voice in the least degree meanwhile antonia had been growing up and her mother never tired of writing to tell her father how that a singer of the first rank was developing in her crespo's friends in f also confirmed this intelligence and urged him to come for once to f to see and admire this uncommon sight of two such glorious singers they had not the slightest suspicion of the close relations in which crespo stood to the pair willingly would he have seen with his own eyes the daughter who occupied so large a place in his heart and who moreover often appeared to him in his dreams but as often as he thought upon his wife he felt very uncomfortable and so he remained at home amongst his broken violins there was a certain promising young composer b of f who was found to have suddenly disappeared nobody knew where this young man fell so deeply in love with antonia that as she returned his love he earnestly besought her mother to consent to an immediate union sanctified as it would further be by art 
Angela had nothing to urge against his suit, and the counsellor the more readily gave his consent that the young composer's productions had found favour before his rigorous critical judgment. Crespel was expecting to hear of the consummation of the marriage, when he received instead a black-sealed envelope addressed in a strange hand. Dr. R. Blank conveyed to the counsellor the sad intelligence that Angela had fallen seriously ill in consequence of a cold caught at the theatre, and that during the night immediately preceding what was to have been Antonia's wedding day, she had died. To him, the doctor, Angela had disclosed the fact that she was Crespel's wife, and that Antonia was his daughter. He, Crespel, had better hasten, therefore, to take charge of the orphan. Notwithstanding that the counsellor was a good deal upset by this news of Angela's death, he soon began to feel that an antipathetic, disturbing influence had departed out of his life, and that now, for the first time, he could begin to breathe freely. The very same day he set out for F. Blank. You could not credit how heartrending was the counsellor's description of the moment when he first saw Antonia. Even in the fantastic oddities of his expression, there was such a marvellous power of description that I am unable to give even so much as a faint indication of it. Antonia inherited all her mother's amiability and all her mother's charms, but not the repellent reverse of the medal. There was no chronic moral ulcer which might break out from time to time. Antonia's betrothed put in an appearance, whilst Antonia herself, fathoming with happy instinct the deeper-lying character of her wonderful father, sang one of old Padre Martini's motets. Note. Giambattista Martini, more commonly called Padre Martini of Bologna, formed an influential school of music there in the latter half of the 18th century. He wrote vocal and instrumental pieces, both for the church and for the theatre. He was also a learned historian of music. He has the merit of having discerned and encouraged the genius of Mozart when, a boy of fourteen, he visited Bologna in 1770. Return to text. Sang one of old Padre Martini's motets, which she knew Crespo in the heyday of his courtship had never grown tired of hearing her mother sing. The tears ran in streams down Crespo's cheeks. Even Angela, he had never heard sing like that. Antonia's voice was of a very remarkable and altogether peculiar timbre. At one time it was like the sighing of the Aeolian harp, at another like the warbled gush of the nightingale. It seemed as if there was not room for such notes in the human breast. Antonia, blushing with joy and happiness, sang on and on, all her most beautiful songs, B. Blank, playing between whiles, as only enthusiasm that is intoxicated with delight can play. Crespel was at first transported with rapture, then he grew thoughtful, still, absorbed in reflection. At length he leapt to his feet, pressed Antonia to his heart, and begged her in a low, husky voice, Sing no more, if you love me. My heart is bursting. I fear, I fear, don't sing again. No, remarked the counsellor next day to Dr. Arblank, when, as she sang, her blushes gathered into two dark red spots on her pale cheeks. I knew it had nothing to do with your nonsensical family likenesses. I knew it was what I dreaded. The doctor, 
whose countenance had shown signs of deep distress from the very beginning of the conversation, replied, whether it arises from a too early taxing of her powers of song, or whether the fault is nature, enough. Antonia labours under an organic failure in the chest, while it is from it too that her voice derives its wonderful power and its singular timbre, which I might almost say transcend the limits of human capabilities of song. But it bears the announcement of her early death, for if she continues to sing, I wouldn't give her at the most more than six months longer to live. Crespel's heart was lacerated as if by the stabs of hundreds of stinging knives. It was as though his life had been for the first time overshadowed by a beautiful tree full of the most magnificent blossoms, and now it was to be sawn to pieces at the roots so that it could not grow green and blossom any more. His resolution was taken. He told Antonia all. He put the alternatives before her whether she would follow her betrothed and yield to his and the world's seductions, but with the certainty of dying early, or whether she would spread round her father in his old days that joy and peace which had hitherto been unknown to him, and so secure a long life. She threw herself sobbing into his arms, and he, knowing the heart-rending trial that was before her, did not press her for a more explicit declaration. He talked the matter over with her betrothed, but notwithstanding that the latter averred that no note should ever cross Antonia's lips, the counsellor was only too well aware that even B. Blank could not resist the temptation of hearing her sing, at any rate arias of his own composition. And the world, the musical public, even though acquainted with the nature of the singer's affliction, would certainly not relinquish its claims to hear her for in cases where pleasure is concerned people of this class are very selfish and cruel the counsellor disappeared from f blank along with antonia and came to h blank b blank was in despair when he learnt that they had gone he set out on their track overtook them and arrived at h blank at the same time that they did let me see him only once and then die entreated antonia die die cried Crespo, wild with anger, an icy shudder running through him. His daughter, the only creature in the wide world who had awakened in him the springs of unknown joy, who alone had reconciled him to life, tore herself away from his heart, and he, he suffered the terrible trial to take place. B. Blank sat down to the piano. Antonia sang. Crespo fiddled away merrily until the two red spots showed themselves on Antonia's cheeks. Then he bade her stop. And as B was taking leave of his betrothed, she suddenly fell to the floor with a loud scream. I thought, continued Crespel in his narration, I thought that she was, as I had anticipated, really dead. But as I prepared myself for the worst, my calmness did not leave me, nor my self-command desert me. I grasped B. Blank, who stood like a silly sheep in his dismay, by the shoulders, and said, here the counsellor fell into his singing tone, Now that you, my estimable pianoforte player, have, as you wished and desired, really murdered your betrothed, you may quietly take your departure. At least have the goodness to make yourself scarce before I run my bright hanger through your heart, 
My daughter, who, as you see, is rather pale, could very well do with some colour from your precious blood. Make haste and run, for I might also hurl a nimble knife or two after you. I must, I suppose, have looked rather formidable as I uttered these words, for, with a cry of the greatest terror, B. Blank tore himself loose from my grasp, rushed out of the room, and down the steps. Directly after B. Blank was gone, when the counsellor tried to lift up his daughter, who lay unconscious on the floor, she opened her eyes with a deep sigh, but soon closed them again, as if about to die. Then Crespel's grief found vent aloud, and would not be comforted. The doctor, whom the old housekeeper had called in, pronounced Antonia's case a somewhat serious, but by no means dangerous, attack and she did indeed recover more quickly than her father had dared to hope. She now clung to him with the most confiding, childlike affection. She entered into his favourite hobbies, into his mad schemes and whims. She helped him take old violins to pieces and glue new ones together. "'I won't sing again any more, but live for you,' she often said, sweetly smiling upon him, after she had been asked to sing and had refused.' Such appeals, however, the counsellor was anxious to spare her as much as possible. Therefore it was that he was unwilling to take her into society, and solicitously shunned all music. He well understood how painful it must be for her to forgo altogether the exercise of that art which she had brought to such a pitch of perfection. When the counsellor bought the wonderful violin that he had buried with Antonia, and was about to take it to pieces, she met him with such sadness in her face, and softly breathed the petition, What? This as well? By some power which he could not explain, he felt impelled to leave this particular instrument unbroken, and to play upon it. Scarcely had he drawn the first few notes from it, than Antonia cried aloud with joy, Why, that's me! Now I shall sing again! and in truth there was something remarkably striking about the clear silvery bell-like tones of the violin they seemed to have been engendered in the human soul crespel's heart was deeply moved he played too better than ever as he ran up and down the scale playing bold passages with consummate power and expression she clapped her hands together and cried with delight i did that well i did that well from this time onwards her life was filled with peace and cheerfulness. She often said to the counsellor, I should like to sing something, father. Then Crespel would take his violin down from the wall and play her most beautiful songs, and her heart was right glad and happy. Shortly before my arrival in H. Blank, the counsellor fancied one night that he heard somebody playing the piano in the adjoining room, and he soon made out distinctly that B. Blank was flourishing on the instrument in his usual style. He wished to get up, but felt himself held down as if by a dead weight, and lying as if fettered in iron bonds. He was utterly unable to move an inch. Then Antonia's voice was heard singing low and soft. Soon, however, it began to rise and rise in volume until it became an ear-splitting fortissimo, and at length, she passed over into a powerfully impressive song which B. Blank had once composed for her, in the devotional style of the old masters. Crespel described his condition as being incomprehensible, 
for terrible anguish was mingled with a delight that he had never experienced before all at once he was surrounded by a dazzling brightness in which he beheld b blank and antonia locked in a close embrace and gazing at each other in a rapture of ecstasy the music of the song and of the pianoforte accompanying it went on without any visible signs that antonia sang or that b blank touched the instrument then the counsellor fell into a sort of dead faint whilst the images vanished away on awakening he still felt the terrible anguish of his dream he rushed into antonia's room she lay on the sofa her eyes closed a sweet angelic smile on her face her hands devoutly folded looking as if asleep and dreaming of the joys and raptures of heaven but she was dead end of the cremona violin recording by thomas copeland